Amen. It was uh, August 31st, 2004, and the police in Savannah, Georgia, received a call from a local Burger King. And the manager at the Burger King said, we've found uh, a gentleman uh, sleeping behind the restaurant who's confused. He has no clothing on and no possessions. And so the police came to, uh, to investigate what was happening. And there they met uh, Benjamin Kyle. Uh, Benjamin Kyle, indeed, was naked. He had no clothes. He had no form of identification. In fact, he had no earthly belongings whatsoever. Uh, they were able to take him to hospital, get him care, uh, and then begin to question him. And this is what they discovered, that Benjamin Kyle only knew one thing about his life, and that was that his name was Benjamin Kyle. Um, over the next 11 years, as he met with specialists around America, uh, it was discovered that he had one of the rarest, most severe forms of amnesia known to man. And he literally had no idea who he was other than his name was Benjamin Kyle. Well, in the year 2015, 11 years later, because of technology, uh, they were able to do DNA testing. They were able to find out more about Benjamin Kyle. The first thing they discovered that his name is William Powell. Uh, That the one thing, can you imagine, the one thing he thought he knew... He didn't know, and that was his own name. His name wasn't Benjamin Kyle. His name was William Powell. They also discovered that he had family in Ohio who had been looking for him for over a decade. He found that he had friends who had been searching for him. He found out that he had had a job and a house and money, and he had forgotten all of it. He now has an identification card that says William Powell, And yet he has never to this day recovered those memories. He has about a 20-year gap missing. Now, I wonder if for you and I, uh, when we encounter hardship, when we encounter difficult times in our life, how easy it is to forget who we are. I can speak for me for certain, and, and I would just say that, that when, when the road gets a little bumpy, when, when the water gets a little choppy, when, when life gets a little tough, I can quickly have spiritual amnesia, and I can forget who I am in Jesus Christ. And what we're going to look at this morning in 1 Peter is that as the church is continued to be persecuted, as they're encountering difficulties and challenges, uh, Peter is going to write to them to remind them of who they are in Jesus Christ, to remind them as God's people who they are, that their identity may be anchored and rooted in Jesus. And so uh, if you would turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and uh, we're going to begin at verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, if, what page is it on the church Bible? Does anyone have that? 1218. So uh, page 1218, uh, 1 Peter. I want to encourage you uh, to, to find something to take notes with, not because um, of anything I have to say, um, but because as the Lord speaks through His Word. Uh, I was looking recently, and I found my uh, notebook from when I was 17 years old. I brought it to the mission field with me from when I was 17. And I have sermon notes that I took, uh, and that was, goodness, that was 20 years ago. 
And so I, I have amnesia as well. And so uh, how precious it is to look at that and say, man, when I was 17, this is what the Lord was saying to me through a sermon. And so I would encourage you to write some of these things down. Um, uh, We're going to take a look at what it means to be uh, strangers, uh, strangers in the land, the people of God, and and how we need to come back uh, to be reminded of who we are in Jesus. So um, this is 1 Peter chapter 2. And remember, he is writing to a church that is being persecuted unto death. I mean, Christians are being fed to lions and, and killed. And this is what he says to them. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Now, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. And live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that it is true, that it is alive. And uh, Holy Spirit, we pray in these next few moments as we study your word, we ask that you would take your word, that you would open our minds, that we can understand your word. We pray that you soften our hearts, that we might be changed by your word. Uh, Speak to us, please, Lord, uh, by your Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In the midst of challenging times, in the midst of uh, difficulties, it's important that we uh, not forget who we are. And I I think that's what, I I just feel like that's what Peter's trying to do here, that, that in the midst of hardship and in the midst of persecution, how easy it would be to have spiritual amnesia how easy it would be to forget who they were in Christ. And, and so Peter's going to simply remind them of three truths. And, and these are three truths that he reminds you and I of today as we live out our faith in a culture that is sometimes uh, hostile to the message of the gospel. Here's what we learn. Number one, we see this, that as, uh, as disciples of Jesus, uh, we have been given a new identity. As disciples of Jesus, we have been given a new identity. Uh, Look what he says in verses 9 and 10. He says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then he begins this beautiful thing where he says, You were but now you are. You were, but now you are. He says, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. He says, uh, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says, don't forget that that God took you where he found you and brought you to where you are now. Uh, He took you uh, as a people who were not a people. In other words, you, you were just lost, you were scattered, you were out on your own, and now you're part of the family of God, the family of God. 
uh, the, the, the longer uh, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus, the more and more I grow to appreciate the family of God, uh, the, the church. Uh, I just love it. Christy will tell you, and, and maybe to a fault, but uh, in all the years, we've been married 30 years this, uh, this, this year, and uh, whenever we've planned holidays, can you think how many Sundays I've missed? Not, not many. Um, because, man, I just, I just, I, I, like, I need you people. Like, I need the church. And when we were in America, like, I just didn't want to miss a Sunday. Uh, and it had nothing to do with preaching. It's just like, man, if I go a week or two without seeing the family of God, like, it just, I can feel it in my heart. And so, I, I, like, I would plan, we would plan our holidays around, like, we, we, you know, we'll leave Sunday afternoon, but we won't be back. Now, I don't say that, by the way, to condemn anyone's holidays. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I, I think we all feel that way. Like, we just love, uh, we love one another. And that's what community, that's what church is. And don't miss this. He says, there was a time you didn't have that. And by the way, people up and down this country are looking for that very thing. Uh, there, there was a BBC documentary a couple of years ago called The Age of Loneliness. And at that time, it said the U.K. was labeled the lonely capital of Europe, that more people in the United Kingdom self-identify as lonely than any other country in Europe at that time in the EU. And by the way, the, great, the, the, the largest percentage of people in the U.K. who self-identify as lonely were between the ages of 18 and 35. So we're not necessarily talking about widows and widowers, but between the ages of 18 and 35, the largest group that self-identified is lonely. People are desperate uh, for community. People are desperate to belong, and we have that. God has designed that in the church. Amen? He's designed that in the body of Christ. And so he says, once you didn't have that, but now you have it. He says, once you, you didn't know what mercy was. You, you received what you, what you deserved. You got what you deserved, but now that you know mercy, you don't get what you deserve. How many of us would be in trouble if God gave us exactly what we deserved? I would be, I would be in a heap of mess, right? And mercy, uh, the definition of mercy is when we do not receive what we justly deserve. When we do not receive what we justly deserve. Uh, Mercy is when you're pulled over by the police for speeding. You've broken the law. You're guilty. And he decides not to give you a ticket. That's mercy. You did not get what you deserved. And he says, at one time, uh, you didn't relate to me that way. And so we've been given this new identity. And then, and we won't have time to break them all down. But he gives this amazing list of who we are. And this is what he says. He says, we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Is that not amazing? Uh, We are God's chosen people. And it's very interesting here. He doesn't say you are God's chosen person. He says, we are God's chosen people. God has chosen us in the context of community. In the, Christianity was never meant to be lived in isolation. Uh, folks who say, well, uh, I'm a Christian, but I just don't go to church. That's like saying I'm a human, but I don't eat or breathe. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? Like, to, to know and love Jesus is to be in his community. And so all of these identities are in the context of the church. He says, we are a chosen people. Just as God chose Israel to, to be a witness to the nations... God has now chosen his church to be a witness to the nations. 
You and I have taken the baton uh, into the New Testament from the nation of Israel, and we are now those who are called to proclaim the good news of the gospel. We are his chosen people to do that task. Isn't that wonderful? Like, what, a, what an amazing responsibility, and yet what an amazing privilege that we have in Erdington to be God's chosen people to proclaim his good news. He says, You're a royal priesthood. How about that? Like, we're priests, and well, priestess sounds a bit odd, but we're, we're all priests. In, is priestesses a word? All men and women are priests. How's that? Uh, we're, man, we all, like, we can, we can go straight to God. Like, we don't have to go through anyone. And not only does that mean we have direct access to God, but it means we can enable others. We can share with others how they can have direct access to God. I mean, what an amazing thing. When you read through the Old Testament and you read through uh, and, and you see all of the things that the priests did and the privileges they had, and now to know that all of those things are ours in Christ, we're a holy nation. And then I think this is my special, uh, my, my favorite one, and Vicki did such an amazing job showing that to us. We are God's special possession. Is that not amazing? How, how do you treat a special possession? I imagine if I took uh, Agnes's lemur and threw it out the window, there could, thank you, there could be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Is that, is that fair to say? That, that is not how you treat a special possession. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever thought that, you know, things you lay in bed and think about, but I was thinking one night, man, if the house caught on fire and I could only get one thing out of the house, what would it be? And not one person, like I've gotten, you know, Kayla, Max, and Christy, they're out, but now I can run back in and I only have like 15 seconds to get one thing, right? And I thought, oh, would it be my wallet? Would it be my passport? You know, and I was, this was a couple weeks ago, I was laying in bed thinking, and then I was like, oh no, I know what it would be. It would be my Bob Ross painting that me and Andy Coxpill did because everything else is irreplaceable, Dan. You can get a new passport, you can get a new credit card, but that work of artistic mastery, and that's what the BBC called it, not me, that work of art that I painted hanging behind the door where no one sees it because my wife put it there, that is the one thing I would run and get. It's my special possession. How amazing to think that we are God's special possession that, that Philippians 2 says that Jesus gave up all of the benefits of heaven and came down to this dump pole compared to heaven and lived a life of a servant. He washed feet and he hung out with prostitutes and lepers and tax collectors and he got in the muck and mire of this world because we are his special possession. The scripture says that Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. John three seventeen, He came to seek and save that which is lost. Uh, isn't it amazing to think that we are God's special possession? I want you to look at the person beside you around your table and just say, you are God's special possession. Go. Tell them. Yeah. Isn't that good news? Just brings a smile to your face, amen? Here's the thing, I, uh, to, to go away for a day and, and make that painting uh, was 40 pounds and a, and a pack lunch. Jesus gave his life 
Uh, Peter's going to say we were not purchased with silver and gold and perishable things. But Peter's going to say later that we were bought by the very blood of Jesus. That Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Right? Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Uh, the special possession cost Jesus his life. Um, but to us, we're worth it. Here's what we got to do. In the midst of difficult times, church, remember who we are. And can you imagine being in their context where they're being told that Christians are a cult, where Christians are weird, they're, they're being told that Christians need to be annihilated, that Christians need to be done away with. This is what they're telling them, and, and this is what Peter is saying, no, this is the truth. You know what, you and I live in a day more and more where we might be told Christians are judgmental, Christians are closed-minded. You know, it's, it's not popular to say, you know what, we, this book says Jesus is the only way to heaven, and so Therefore, I believe he's the only way. And so by default, what's that mean about every other religion? Well, uh, we, we live in a day where that's not a popular message. Um, and, and so and we, could, we could list a, a whole litany of things where the world might say we're closed-minded, we're old-fashioned, we're out of touch, all of these things. But listen to me. Don't you listen to that because that is not who we are. This is who we are. Amen, church? We are Chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, special possession. Not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. We belong to Jesus, and that makes us this people. So in the midst of a hostile culture, he says, do not lose sight of who you are in the midst of difficulties. Secondly, he says this, that uh, as, uh, as disciples of Jesus, we've been given a new home. Uh, We've been given a new identity, but secondly, as disciples of Jesus, we have been given a new home. And again, that's good news. Uh, Look what he says. He says this in verse 11. uh, Emphasis is mine. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He says, you have a new identity, but you also have a new home. And uh, he he tells us this, that disciples of Jesus, he's going to say that uh, we are foreigners, we're exiles, and then we're going to see uh, Paul would say we are ambassadors. Now, uh, all of this speaks to our citizenship. All of us speaks to our Citizenship. I, I've I've just returned um, from uh, from Malta. I was in Malta for a week and uh, for for meetings, and um, and I, I had to go through several uh, airports on the way and on the way back. And um, I'm always fascinated when I'm in the queue for passport control. I always try to kind of nose drop, eavesdrop, and look at different people's passports and uh, and see where they're from. And, uh, and, and, and hear the languages they're speaking. And, and everyone there, so, uh, so I'm in the queue. I'm, I'm uh, in the queue with everyone who's not EU. And so we're kind of just this patchwork of hodgepodge people. And, uh, and, you know, and it was just amazing. Like there's a Russian in front of me and there's an Italian behind me. And, and uh, all of us, including myself, spoke really bad English. And so we're, uh, we're trying to talk a little bit about where we're from and, and where we're traveling. And the thing was, everyone had citizenship. 
And when you finally got to the booth, this was in Munich, uh, there was a very uh, not friendly looking German guy who I handed my passport to and he thumbed through it and uh, stamped it really hard. And, uh, and it's all about your citizenship, right? And citizenship is tied to my home. It's where I live. And, and this is what Peter says. He says, you have a new identity, but you have a new home. Uh, dear friends, I urge you that you are now foreigners and exiles. And uh, so this word foreigner, it's very interesting in the Greek. Um, it, it means a, a sojourner, a temporary resident. It literally means to reside in a place without having citizenship. To reside in a place without having citizenship. Now, I, I, our family understands that. Like our first 13 years here, we didn't have citizenship. And so we're residing here, uh, but there were some benefits that, that we could not partake of, like we couldn't vote and, and, and some other things that, that we were not allowed to do because we were not citizens. We were just sojourners. We were living here, but we weren't citizens of the United Kingdom. And that's what it means to be a foreigner here. He's saying you reside in heaven, but you don't partake of the the benefits of heaven because they're really not benefits at all. He says you're just a, a sojourner. You're just passing through, but your real home is where? Heaven. And he reminds of that. Remember, we saw this in, in, in chapter one, they're scattered. Right? So not only are they uh, foreigners in, in a spiritual sense, right? Heaven is their home, but they're even foreigners in a literal sense. Like all of them, because of persecution, have scattered, have scattered. I was with someone on a call uh, very recently, um, and where a, a family that we're, uh, we were on a call trying to get a family um, who were native of that country, who are believers who were under immense persecution and um, who it looked like in the very near future were going to be in prison and their kids uh, taken. And I was on a call to try to help them get out of that country to get to safety. Um, and, and what's going to happen to them is they're going to end up going somewhere else and they're now going to be sojourners. Uh, they're probably going to live the rest of their natural life never going back to their home country because of the persecution of Christians. And so for the rest of their life, they're going to be foreigners, sojourners. Uh, he uses the phrase exile, uh, to, to be beside of. Uh, the, the picture is um, th- there was a nomadic culture that still existed in that time. There's still nomads today, like in Mongolia and the Middle East. These are people who have no, I think we would say in the UK, is it no fixed abode? Is that what we would say, right? Well, uh, there's still nomads, and, and we watched a documentary not too long ago on a nomadic people in Mongolia who purposefully have no fixed abode, and they just travel with their bison, and, um, and they travel throughout the year taking their bison to the places where there's food for the bison to eat. And they have these amazing, like, um, what are they called? It starts with a, a Y. Yeah. That thing. They have those like these big portable tent things they said. It was absolutely fascinating. But here's what happens. When they, when they come into a place where there's a town, instead of going into the town and setting up, they always stay on the outside and set up beside the town. And they said the reason is because they're not part of the town. They're not residents. That is literally this word for exile. It's the word for a nomad who travels and sets up beside a city but not in the city. And the idea is this that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Uh, we, we set up life, 
beside the system of the world, but not in the system of the world. And, and so it's this beautiful picture of who we are. Um, I, I was reading recently an article about what it means to live, uh, to live lightly. To live lightly. Uh, in, in other words, well, you know, sometimes if I, if I look at all the things I own it, and, and all the things I have, and, I, and I'm not saying any of them are sinful or wrong, but man, do I, do I live lightly? Like, can I easily just pick up and, and, and go wherever God calls me to, to go? Or am I living in such a way that, that I'm now constrained, whether it's by debt or material possessions, that, that I don't have that lightness where I can go and follow Jesus? And the idea here is live lightly. Don't, don't, don't get your life so anchored down and weighed down with the things of this world. Why? Because everything in this world is passing away. Paul says, don't, don't, don't anchor yourself and weigh down yourself with, with things where that rust can, can, can destroy and moths can eat and thieves can steal. But instead, lay up treasure in heaven, live lightly, because we've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You, don't, you know, you know uh, it's, there's, there's an old story about the richest man in town who died. A U-Haul's a trailer, by the way. Uh, there's a, sorry, uh, um, yeah, sorry, I didn't translate that. Uh, there's, a, there's an old story about the richest man in town who died, and everyone turned up at his funeral, and the big buzz was who was going to get all this money and said two of the richest men in town were standing there, and uh, the vicar's giving the funeral, and one man looks at the other and says, well, well how much did he leave? The other man says, all of it. Can't take it with us. It all stays here, right? And, and so uh, the idea here is because we're foreigners and exiles, we live lightly because heaven is our home. But then Paul will say, uh, we're ambassadors for Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, We are his ambassadors. And again, it speaks to our citizenship an ambassador is someone whose home is in one country, but they live in another, but they represent their home country. And so uh, Paul reminds us of this here, but, but Peter does as well. And, and Peter's, Peter's going to say this, that, that we have to remember that even when we suffer and struggle in this life, Peter's going to say later, he's going to say, never forget that a thousand years on earth is one day in heaven. A thousand years on earth is but one day in heaven. Now, I don't know how literally we take that, but even if we just took it at face value, that's pretty amazing. That means that in terms of heaven, Jesus was only, you know, Jesus only been gone two days. For us, he's been gone 2,000 years, right? But in heaven, it's been two days. Like, and, and, and if you keep time in eternity, our time here is nothing. And Peter says this as a means of comfort. He says, I know life is hard. And I know life is difficult. But never forget, it will be over in the blink of an eye. And, uh, and, and you'll have all eternity in heaven. Um, I, I, still like, I still can't get my head around that Kayla is, is pushing 20 years old and... and is living in university in America. Like, I don't have a place in my brain for that. Like, when, when, we, uh, when we got here, she was four years old. Um, 
And, and so um, I, I won't point out any of the older people in the room, but we would all agree life goes by fast. Is that true? Life goes by fast. And, and, and that's his point. Listen, I know you're suffering, and I know it's hard, and I know it's difficult, but hold on. Don't forget, you have a new identity. You have a new home and, and you're just passing through, you're a foreigner, you're an exile, and just hold on to the truth that I know it seems like it's going on for a long time, but in the blink of an eye, you'll be with Jesus for all eternity. And so we, we have to remember in the midst of difficult times, we have a new identity. We're not who we were. We, we are who we are in Christ Jesus. We have a new home. This world is, is, is just passing through who who really cares about building a kingdom here? I, I've shared with you years ago, we were moving house, and uh, we went to look at a house um, uh, over kind of in, in the Perry Common way. And the, uh, the estate agent is showing us around the house, and, you know, we're looking at it, like, yeah, there's a toilet, there's a kitchen, and looks good. And we, we're finishing up, and, and she's, um, she's in full salesperson mode. And she says, I haven't told you the best part of the house. And I'm thinking... There's a jacuzzi, or there's like, there's something big. She's like, this is amazing what I'm about to tell you. And we're like, yeah, tell us. And she says, you'll have a Sutton Coalfield postcode. And I was like, I'm sorry? She said, the best thing is you'll have a Sutton Coalfield postcode. And I'm like, why, why, why is that a good thing? She's like, because everybody will think you live in Sutton Coalfield, but you really don't. And I just remember Christy and I, it was lost on us, kind of like the word U-Haul was lost on you a minute ago. Like, it, we didn't understand. And then she was, and I was like, well, unpack that for me. Like, why would I desire people to know that we live in such, you know, and it was just, it was just this idea that somehow even my postcode uh, adds value to my identity, Right. Like, I would rather live near a KFC wherever it's at. You know what I'm saying? Like, now that adds value to a house right there. Like, if I can actually smell the chicken cooking, yes, count me in, right? Here's the thing, guys. doesn't matter what our postcode is. doesn't matter what year our car is. doesn't matter that our clothes, mine come from George. That's French for Asda. Like, it doesn't matter where all that stuff comes from because this world is not our home Heaven is our home, amen? And when we get there, the streets are made of gold because in gold, uh, in heaven, gold is nothing but, but pavement because Jesus is so valuable. So we have a new identity, we have a new home, but then lastly, we see this. Uh, as a disciple of Jesus, we've been given a new identity, a new home, but finally, we've been given a new purpose. We've been given a new purpose. Uh, he, he says this uh, in verses uh, 11 and 12. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Uh, Peter says, uh, we are a new people uh, he says, we have a new home. But then lastly, he says, with the time we have left on this earth, we have a new purpose. 
And he, he, he lays out two things for us here. Um, he, he says that uh, first, he says, I, I desire, this is in the first part, dear friends, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And the word abstain there means to, to hold back, to control. It's, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever been horseback riding, but this is a similar word. It, it's the word they would use if you're riding a horse to pull back the reins. So if you're, you're ever on horseback and the horse starts going faster than you want it to go, you gently or sometimes firmly pull back the reins and the horse stops itself. This word says that, that through the Holy Spirit, we are to hold back, to restrain, to control our sinful desires. Now, I would imagine in the midst of persecution, it might be very easy to be tempted to be sinful. What might you be tempted to do? I'm sorry? Compromise, right? If, if I just deny Jesus, I can get out of this situation, right? I mean, and, and that's, it's easy for me to maybe be judgmental over someone who does that, but like, man, if I'm there and it's one thing if they're torturing me, but if they're torturing my son, how do I, hold on, what else might you be tempted to do? Maybe to lash back out. We, we see Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane who cuts the servant's ears off, right? We might be tempted to fight, we, we might be tempted to become angry, bitter, like there could be loads of temptation. We might be just tempted just to give in, right, and just say, what's it worth? I'm just going to jump in the muck and mire with everyone else. Like there could be loads of temptations under persecution. And he says, you've got to hold back. And, and, and we, we haven't experienced this yet in the West, but we might in our lifetime. I, I don't know, but, but all around the world, Christians are tempted with, with compromising their faith. They're tempted with denying their Savior and he, Peter says, man, just, just, just pull back the reins on that. Don't do it. But also remember, they are in the midst in a Roman empire. Remember, we talked about Nero and his debauchery. I mean, they are in a community where prostitution is legal and rampant, where, you know, drunken orgies are, are you know, held up as the, as the standard. I mean, they are surrounded by a culture that is completely self-indulgent, that as the book of Judges would say, everyone does what's right in their own eyes. They are living in that culture. And man, the temptation must have been unbelievable. But he says, rein it in, hold back. And, and there's a reason for this. Uh, he says, instead, I want you to live good Lives. Uh, it, it means uh, to honorable lives. It, it technically in Greek literally means beautiful, uh, a work of beautiful art. He says, no, no, instead of all this dirty, ugly, sinful stuff, I want you to live in such a way that your life is like a beautiful portrait, a beautiful painting that completely stands out amidst the muck and mire of sin. And he, he, look what he says. He says, uh, live such good lives. And here's the reason. Here's the reason. Uh, live such good lives among the pagans, yeah, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Remember, they're being accused of, of, of all kinds of things, right? They're being accused by the Jews of being a cult. They're being accused by the Romans of being bad citizens because they won't partake of the Roman uh, gods and religion. And so he says, listen, as people are, are making accusations against you, as they accuse you of doing wrong, uh, live in such a way that they see your good deeds 
And you stand out. You stand out and you make all the difference. Uh, There's a story that when Robert Lewis Stevenson was 10 years old, that he was uh, sitting in their window in London. They were in London, and, uh, and he was sitting up in the window, and it had just went completely dark. And the lamp lighter was going down his street, and he would stop at one lamp, and he would light it, gas lighting, and he would go down and stop at the next and light the lamp and go down. And so he was just fascinated watching this. And his mother asked him, he said, Robert, what are you doing? And he said, Mom, I'm watching a man punch holes in the darkness. I'm watching a man punch holes in the darkness. You and I have been called by God to punch holes in the darkness. We have called to be the light of the world. Now, we are not the source of the light, but we reflect the light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and he is reflected in our lives. And he says, when they make accusation against you, live your life in such a way that they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's interesting uh, what he says there. He says in verse 9, remember what he said. He said um, that uh, they may declare the praises. Remember he said, but you are a chosen people. Look at verse 9 in your Bible. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Look at this that you may declare the praises of God, that you may declare the praises of God. Now, uh, this is really interesting. That word, um, uh, just kind of make a note of this, that word declare, right, is that is the only place in the entire Bible where that word is used, which that's usually significant. So that Greek word is used nowhere else except in this one verse. And the word declare here means to make known something that otherwise is unknown through celebration. It's a really odd word, so let me say that again. Um, It's to, to make known something that was otherwise unknown through celebration. What he's saying is this. He's saying when you live for Jesus in the midst of a difficult culture, a, a, a culture of persecution. He says, there's something in your good works that declares the gospel, which is unknown, and it is declared in your rejoicing of who Jesus is. Now, we, what are one of the reasons we gather on a Sunday? Like, we don't have to gather like this. We could all divide up and meet in homes and GCs. One of the reasons we gather corporately is to celebrate Jesus. And this word here says that when God's people celebrate Jesus, it reveals the gospel in a way that otherwise is not revealed. Uh, I can remember, uh, I only went to church just a small handful of times before I was a believer. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and so I can just, just sprinkled here and there growing up. And, and, I, and I can remember when I would go to a church and, and people like praising God and singing about Jesus and there was an enthusiasm and a joy and a peace. And I can remember even as a young teenager uh, being drawn to that. Just, just that something in that just tugged at my heart. And I didn't understand it. But, but, but I can remember like I would be moved to tears. And I wouldn't know why I was crying. Um, and there was just something about being in the midst of these people who were celebrating Jesus 
that, that revealed the gospel to me. And, and, and that's the word here, declare. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And so we have a new identity, we have a new, pur- uh, new home, but we have a new purpose. Our new purpose is we abstain from evil as God's people. And now we commit our lives to being his workmanship. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, but then verse 10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has saved us that we might feed the hungry, that we might clothe the naked, that we might visit the prisoner, that we might minister to those who are sick, that we, we are family to the widow and the orphan. We do these things all to the glory of Jesus. And even in the midst of persecution, as we praise him and as we serve him, the gospel is made known in a way that otherwise is unknown. I think it's why every time God does something big in the Bible, people sing. Every time. It starts all the way back when, when they're set free from, uh, from Egypt. And as soon as they cross the Red Sea, I don't know about y'all, but I'd be like, we need to get as much distance between us and Egypt as we can. Let's go. I'd probably be hungry. Like, is there a welcome break up here? Like, what's next? The Bible says as soon as they cross over, what do they do? They sing. As soon as Mary finds out she's pregnant with the Son of God, what does she do? She sings. We could go over and over and over through Scripture. There's something about when God's people celebrate, it reveals the gospel in a very unique way. So how then do we celebrate in the midst of persecution? Well, uh, we we do it uh, in the Spirit. As the Spirit of God, as we are filled by His Spirit, uh, and as we, my my devotional reading this morning was Acts chapter 2. And as as we uh, think of Pentecost, as we think about being men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, uh, we celebrate in who we are and whose we are. We have a new identity. We have a new home. We have a new purpose. We're not here to make money. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're here to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And one day, we will be in heaven with him. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. And Lord, I would confess that like Benjamin Kyle, I can forget who I am. Jesus, sometimes I think that life is about my postcode. Sometimes I think life is about who likes me and who doesn't like me. Sometimes, Jesus, I think that uh, my life is about how much money Barclay says I have in my account this week. And Jesus, I I just want to confess that to you and and just ask that you would help me, Lord, to, to have my identity firmly anchored and grounded in who you say we are, Jesus. I pray that for each of us that in the storms of life, in the difficult seasons of life, that we may be anchored to the truth. The truth is we are your special possession. We're so special that, Jesus, you came to this earth and died, died the death of, uh, uh, on a cross, that we might be your special possession. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we have a new home, that... that A thousand years down here is one day in heaven. And in the blink of an eye, we'll all be together in heaven around your throne, fellowshipping and worshiping. And thank you, Jesus, that that we don't have to be concerned with the things of this world because we are just passing through. 
but thank you that we have a new identity, that heaven is our home. And thank you, Jesus, you've given us a new purpose, that we're not here to live for ourselves, but Jesus, we're here to live for you and to live for others. Jesus, as you did not come to be served, but to serve, Lord, uh, may we also be found faithful in serving the least of our brethren. Oh, Lord, thank you. And Lord, I, I just want to pray, uh, Lord, for maybe there's, there's one here, Lord, just in a, a difficult season of life, a challenging time. And Lord, I just pray that, uh, that they would be anchored in knowing who they are and whose they are and where their home is and where their purpose lies. And Jesus, I would pray that if there's one here this morning who's uh, never went from who they were to who they can be in Jesus Christ, if there's never been that day they've known you as Lord and Savior, Jesus, would you do that work today? Thank you, Jesus, that, uh, that in you is a second chance. Thank you, Jesus, that in you we are new creations. The old things are passed away and all things are new. Jesus, may we live in that reality. May we uh, know that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, that we are children of the king, and that we're on mission for the kingdom. Yeah, thank you, Jesus, that all this is possible because of who you are and what you've done in our place. We love you. We praise you. We exalt you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and we're going to worship the Lord in song.